listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love, your host, and thanks for joining me on the show. So if you're in the business of getting business as a professional services provider, you need to understand exactly what keeps your prospects and your clients up at night. And that is the topic of our show today with Bruce Warner. Bruce wrote a book called Your Ownership Journey. He was referred to me by Henry DeVries, one of my co-authors on the book that we wrote called Rainmaker Confidential. And Bruce has written a fantastic book that is an educational book for people like you and me, where we're serving executives and owners of privately owned companies. Even if you're not in that role, you still need to understand what is their business all about? How do they deal with succession issues? How do they deal with governance issues, capital issues, talent management? And you see, those are the things that Bruce deals with every day as an independent consultant. Make sure you connect with Bruce. We have all of his links on the show notes as well as his LinkedIn link. So make sure you connect with him directly. And I'd highly recommend getting his book and taking the time to really study it. I learned a lot. I learned things that I just had no idea were at the top of the mind of those people that we're dealing with in business. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions and its suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And if you get some great ideas from Bruce today, make sure you leave a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't mind doing that, I'd really appreciate that. And mention Bruce by name. I know he'd appreciate that also. Thanks for listening. And without further ado, here's Bruce Warner talking about finding out what keeps your clients and prospects up at night. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest is Bruce Warner. And our topic today is finding out what keeps your prospects and clients up at night. Bruce, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I love having smart people on the show, people like yourself that have a lot of knowledge. And I've read your book, Your Ownership Journey, and it's fantastic. And we'll talk more about that later. I learned a lot from it, too. And so you're a credentialed expert in the area of running companies, and you know what's on the mind of company owners and all of our listeners, they want to sell their professional services to company owners. And the big question I have for you is how can we find out what keeps our prospects and clients up at night? So thanks for the question. I think your audience needs to, you know, in that classic sense, put themselves in the client's shoes. Mm -hmm. What I found out over the years, and most of the companies I work with are 10 to 100 million in revenue. Industry doesn't matter. Certainly deal with larger ones and smaller ones, but that's where most private companies are. Right. If the owner has been doing business for 10 years or something like that, they know how to run their business. Just right. less than that, they're learning quickly because they're in the hustle, hustle stage. Mm -hmm. So the ordinary things of sales are slow, or I need to add people, or I have a conflict, I need to fire someone. Most of them know how to do that. The question is, what's over the horizon? When they get stuck is when there's something new that they have no personal experience. They haven't seen it before. And they're like a deer in headlights. That's mm -hmm. what keeps them awake at night. So what I suggest to your audience is think about the, where their business is in the arc of development. Companies go through stages just like humans growing up from childhood to adolescent to adulthood. Where is that business on its journey? Is it growing rapidly? Has it kind of flatlined? Is it decaying? 
And, and with that, that gives you a good sense of, well, what are they likely to face? What are going to be the questions over the horizon when they're at that point? Because even with the startups, there's really nothing new out there. It's just right. new to that guy or gal. And that's what creates the opportunity to make revenue. So this is interesting. You talk about the arc of development. Let me ask you about that. How would you give us like a 30-second overview? What are the different phases that a company is going to go through? And then sure. maybe we can kind of talk about inflection points of change that could stimulate opportunities for service providers. So there's been a tremendous amount of academic research on the life cycle of a company. But to make it simple, a guy has an idea or he goes buys a business. Then is in the rapid growth phase, the startup phase where there's not enough cash, you're afraid you're going broke, you're working 80 hours a week, but you're really energized. And that's the exciting part, right? That's when we think about Silicon Valley and startups, that's the exciting part. Then they go to kind of the adolescent phase, teenagerhood, where, mm-hmm. hey, you know, you've kind of grown up a little bit. Yeah. You've they got, got their li- driver's you, you permit. Have customers. Right? Got their driver's permit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You, you, you have your driver's permit. and you can sleep a little bit, but you're still kind of nervous. And what happens is, you know, instead of like having no cash, now you've got some cash, but you can't really, you know, get too crazy. And like when you get your driver's permit, you can now make mistakes that permanently change your life, yeah. like drunk driving, right? right, right and right. so you kind of got to grow up. You're going to take a couple shots on the chin. And if you make it through that phase as the business, then it goes into maturity. You're in your 20s and 30s, you've graduated college, you're on your second job, you're getting married, buying a house, starting a family, you're in that. And that tends to be the longest phase. The last phase is decline. So over time, if you don't keep your competitive edge sharp, and let me say that again, if you don't keep your competitive edge sharp because your market is always changing, you will decay. (laughs) And when you go over the curve on the other side, so think about General Electric. Certainly when I was growing up, they were the number one company in the world. Who the hell are they now? Westinghouse doesn't exist anymore. And so their markets changed and they decayed and eventually they went away. So if you look at your prospect or client and say, where are they in that curve? Then it's really easy to say, what are the likely issues? If they're in the growth phase, it's how do we get the talent and capital to grow? If they're in that kind of, they're in the maturity phase, hey, they're fighting to keep their position. They're probably not growing as fast. So M&A is going to be really important. I need to buy out some competitors or my growth is slowed. I got to buy a younger competitor growing faster. Therefore, how do I capitalize it? I got my key people job hopping to a competitor, right? And in the decay phase, what typically happened is the ownership, always true, is the ownership group is either fat, dumb, and happy, or tired. Right. Because if they're on top of their game, they're not going to put up with it. They will be decisive. And so it's pretty easy to kind of say, these are probably the likely questions given where they are. And while I haven't mentioned it, certainly their industry matters. The rate of change in the industry is a critical factor because when you you have a business, when you choose your industry, that determines your level of profitability and determines the rate of change and growth rate. Because the industry is industry. You can't, unless you have something disruptive and you're inventing new technology, which reinvents the industry, which does happen, mm-hmm. that stuff doesn't change. Or think of automobiles, right? Or right. plastic parts or the grocery business. It is what it is. 
And once you understand that, which takes about five minutes in the conversation with a prospect, you have the entire chessboard in front of you. You have all the pieces. What move are you going to make? So let me ask you this then. I like the fact that you've parsed this into different areas, such as here's the life cycle, the arc of development, the startup, adolescent, maturity, decline, decay. Do you think some professional services providers can specialize not just in an industry niche, but also in, and I don't know how you would define it, but in a life event of a company or a certain phase? What, What do you think about that? Yeah. So let's use practical examples. For my business, my revenue is 100% referral from very warm, very trusted referrals. When I have a first discussion with a prospect, I'm talking about their most intimate problems. I should be signing an NDA before we say hello. So there's no lightweight stuff. And almost all of my referrals come from attorneys, mainly corporate attorneys and lesser estate attorneys, because that's who the owner goes to when they don't know what to do. Right. They don't go over there. Sometimes they go to an accountant, but accountants aren't, you know, are very conservative. And they're not going to say, let me go make a life-changing decision with you. No, no, no. They want to talk about your taxes. It's the corporate attorneys who get most of that. So that's where my business comes. I and mean, so I know lots of attorneys. And they do specialize like that. There's a bunch of law firms which specialize in small growing businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of start up through maturity phase, and they carve out a niche because they've developed a business model, lower overhead, where all the headaches of that niche, they're really well suited for. And it's really interesting issues as compared to grinding out another debt offering that other law firms are really good to do. So absolutely specialization by, you know, it tends to be small growing or established private companies, which are typically five to a hundred million revenue. There's so I'm in Chicago, there's a a whole herd of middle market law firms. All they do is cater to private companies, typically one or two owners in that five to a few hundred million. Mm-hmm. And those owners, whether they inherit it from their dad or they bought the business, they started it, they're going to own those businesses for 30 or 40 years. And then when when they sell it, they're going to the beach. And so those firms are perfectly suited for all of the issues of those owners, both the corporate, the estate. There's always a couple of lawsuits. It's, you know, sometimes there's divorce here or there. There's a dozen or two dozen firms in Chicago. That's all they do. Chicago is a big market. So we have lots of that. And then up market, you know, larger companies, if it's a 500 million up there, full management teams, mm-hmm. they have a different set of issues. And you know those are doing larger equity and debt offerings. They're looking at public markets. They have a lot more M and A. It's more like the you know it's the low end of the big corporate law firm market. And when I work with clients, because I know you do a lot with lawyers, is I say, just tell me what what number the head partner charges. I'll tell you what kind of business they do. <laughs> In our market, you could really stratify. And so I have a, I have a client now, ten million dollar business. We're selling the company. He needed a lawyer didn't know anyone. And so I use that kind of logic to say, well, what's the right law firm for you? Right. You don't need Kirkland and Ellis for that. You know, this is interesting, kind of going back to the life cycle. That's probably a good starting point for somebody in professional services listening to this to really niche down, not just what industry do you work in, but what's the life cycle of most of your clients and prospects? And then finding out 
who are those people that work in that same field, not field like what they do, but same area that work with excise companies at Y phase, wherever they are, and then kind of reach out for referral relationships. Is that how you did it in your business? Yeah, not as scientific. Uh, I took a more circuitous <laughs> route, uh, a little more scar tissue, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> what I have found with professional service rainmakers is what you just mentioned is the outcome, is they tend to gravitate to either a size or stage of business or an industry. And that's kind of what they know and what they get good at. And since it's typically referral basis for the rainmaker, you know, if you've got prospects and clients who are in the growth stage, those CEOs are talking to other CEOs in growth stage to get advice. And right. if you do well for one, they refer you to another. That's kind of, you can be scientific in your approach to be methodical because it's about filling the funnel and getting conversion, but it's not very scientific. It's about human nature because at the end of the day, those owners, those prospects who can't sleep at night, they're human beings first. Right. And the stuff that gets under their skin, doesn't matter how rich or successful or how powerful or how good their PR is. You know, I always separate the PR from the person. You know, if you can find enough time to get them to know them as a human, you'll find a place to go set an anchor in that relationship. Got to work at it. That's right. So tell me this then, how do we find out what keeps our prospects and clients up at night? Once we see where this client or prospect is in its life cycle, we kind of can estimate or guess what those problems are. What do we do at that point? Well, you certainly have to do your homework first. And it's pretty easy to understand what's going on in their industry so you can be articulate and intelligent and they're kind of where they are in the life cycle of the firm. And certainly you can get a little scoop on, hey, what have you heard about Company X? What's going on over there? Certainly if there's M&A in their industry or any regulatory issues, it's on you to develop that expertise before the first phone call. Right. The trick is, you have to ask three intelligent, insightful questions that stop them in their tracks. Mm -hmm. you know, most people like to talk or talk about themselves. They like to talk about things they do well. But if you can ask them a question that just stops them dead and makes them think, now they're, going to, they're either going to deeply engage in the conversation because you can bring something to them, mm -hmm. or it's over, you can move on to the next one, in which case, make that quick. But it's always about what can you give them from the get-go so they have reason to talk to you more. So let me ask you this then, what can we give them? Because I want to ask about this. What can we give them from the get-go where they now feel like they can tell us what we really want? And then what are some examples of those questions? He said, you've got to ask them three questions that stop them in their tracks. Tell me about that. What can we give them and how do we ask those questions? What type of questions should we be thinking of? So... In your preliminary, kind of in your research, you're going to try to find someone who knows that person. You're going to go through their LinkedIn profile and see who they know and find out do they actually know them or not. You're going to read about their industry. I'll just say that you got to do some thinking. You got to do some homework. You know, if I were the prospect, what might be on my mind? This shouldn't be too hard. If you can't figure this out, you may not be the right person to call on right, them, right, frankly. Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> Again, we're dealing at the most senior level. And so, you know, if you think about it, if you're used to working in the boardroom or around the boardroom, this will be very natural. 
if that's not where you're at, maybe you want to get some advice or some help or, you know, bounce some ideas off a trusted confidant to do some role playing because you only get one shot at it. But this is where the work is. This is where you are effectively establishing credentials to have the opportunity to earn the right for them to know, like, and trust you. And so what are some examples of credentials that a client prospect is looking at to where they make a snap judgment call about whether or not we're safe? And that's how I always look at that. For example, the people I recruit, they're guarded, they're risk averse. They want to feel safe. So I have certain credentials that I've noticed that just in a snapshot, few seconds, automatically they feel safe. What are some things that you've seen can help? Well, I always try to offer an intelligent thought that they benefit from. You have to give a gift. Yeah. You're selling, but you're not taking. You're giving. You have to give something of value until they decide to engage and start to know, like, and trust process. So the onus is on me. What can I, what intelligence or knowledge or introduction or thought can I give to them that might make a difference? And that's where the homework comes in of what's going on in the industry. What are some examples of that? What are some examples of that? You know, so supply chain is a big issue for lots of folks. So a practical issue is I sit on the board of a company that has their own freight forwarding function, Mm -hmm. and they have negotiated cargo rates that are unusually advantageous. So right now, maybe not right now, but a couple months ago, a container from... Trying to the West Coast was costing twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars spot. They had a contract for thirty-five hundred dollars a container, and yeah. they're really good at this. And so, as I work with them, it's a long-term relationship. I learn how they handle it, the nuances of what they're doing. I had a prospect which also imports one hundred percent of their product from China. I started asking, "What are you doing on containers? Are you seeing these kind of prices? What's your contract rate? What are you guys doing to get ahead of this? Are you thinking about?" Freight forwarding. I noticed that you're in Chicago, so you're shipping to the West Coast, and then what? Your trucker trained in Chicago, then you ship it back for your West Coast customers. Why don't you just get a three PL out there and save the round four thousand miles around trip? This is a live situation right, right now. Not very hard to figure out. You know, you got twenty percent of your business west of the Rockies. You're in Chicago. Why move the freight? Oh, and by the way, here's three 3PL companies around the the port of Long Beach that maybe you might want to talk to. That's great. So you gave a solution and action steps that person can take to solve a challenge. Right. I mean, the the one rule that always holds in life and also in business is, you know, if you're in their shoes, what would you do? Yeah. Yeah, That's kind of your sanity test so you don't say anything stupid. Pardon me. (laughs) Nobody wants to embarrass themselves. That's a great way to do it. That's a great story. So tell me about questions. Are there any questions that you or any line of thinking that you follow when you find out about what's keeping people up at night? It really varies based on the situation. The key thing is getting a quick read on how aggressive you can be in your line of questioning. How open are they to a conversation? Most folks are regular folks, and if you ask a sincere question respectfully, and you have the gravitas to ask that question, then you can have a conversation. Some are extremely guarded and very cold, and you know they just don't want to let their guard down. So you, you have to be a little more ginger about it. Right. You know, so I've done, literally say, 
tell me three things that keep you awake at night. Yeah. You know, you're, you're looking for a tell. You're looking for an opening to get a hook in. You don't know what it's going to be usually. Right, you do right. all the homework I mentioned to prepare yourself, mm-hmm. but you're really in the moment. And that's where you earn your, earn your keep is figuring out which one do I pursue? I need to validate. You know, the first thing they put down is usually not the issue. It's what we call the presenting issue versus the real issue in right. consulting. They say they want help to do X and you start the work. It's like, well, that's, that's garbage. It's got nothing to do with the issue. The issue is all, all the way over here. Let's go right. after that. How do we pivot them over to what makes a difference? So it's really in the moment. And that's where you earn your keep. And you need to have the mental agility and tact to get them to engage. And I don't know that there's, you know, I'm sure there's a book somewhere that will tell you how to do that. Right. I don't think it's that simple. It's uh, right. <laughs> either have learned the skill and the art or you need some more practice. Or you should find something else to do if it's just not working <laughs> after a period of time. Precisely. <laughs> uh, your boss will give you that opportunity shortly, uh, for sure. <laughs> so you've given me several business lessons in the last three minutes. One of them, you said, you've got to have the gravitas to ask that question. You're looking for a tell. You're doing this in the moment. And I found that you, when you see it, that's your line. It could be when they refer to someone that you know when they refer to a problem or maybe there's a trade association that you spoke at that they're a member of, something that's a common connection. The overall line that I look at is, what is it that makes them feel safe? People that they know that I know, and I don't like people who are name droppers, but if there is a legitimate person that's a connection where someone that I talked to that did this, that was the same problem that they had also. So let me ask you this, getting back to gravitas, how do we build gravitas? We've got a few minutes left, but how can we as professional service providers, what action steps can we take to build gravitas? I think it's a combination of thought, leadership, and personal maturity. You need to have some expertise in an area where that wins you respect even if it's not where their need is. Oh, he's one of the one of the leading experts in state tax law for e-commerce, true story, because of the uh, the Wayfair case. Wow, that's actually kind of important, even though my issue may be somewhere else, but like, yeah, yeah, he's got some chops. Right. 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 And then it is kind of the personal maturity. And it depends on how old you are and where you are in your career. Absolutely. I'm not in the, at the start of my career. I'm a little older than that. And I remember myself as the smart-ass kid in my 20s, where I clearly lacked the maturity at that point in time, even if I thought I had the thought leadership, which I didn't. Um, <laughs> and so as people go through the careers and they're, they want to be successful at rainmaking so they can advance and do better for their family and all that other stuff, it's about positioning because people are like products. How do you position in the market? What's your competitive advantage? Where are you, what are you really good at? What are your weaknesses? Where do you need to get some help? You as a professional service rainmaker are competing for mind share in the market of clients. How do you position yourself? If, hey, you're in your 30s, you're trying to make partner, pretty smart, you know, no one outworks you, no one out hustles you, you're still 30 years old in the buyer's eye. So it doesn't mean you back down. You just position yourself a little differently than if you're in your 60s and you've sold six businesses and everyone knows 
you don't need the money. The world views those assets differently. So position yourself for strength, given where you are. Bruce, this is great wisdom that you shared with us. If you could summarize this and distill it into three action steps that people can take to get started integrating and implementing these ideas, what would those three action steps be? The first is have the courage to be honest with yourself and the self-assessment so that you enable yourself to get to where you want to go. The second is be clear on what your goals are, your vision for your future self. Not overly grandiose, but pragmatic. And always, 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 it's about the relationships that you build. The arc of your life will be determined by the sincere relationships you develop in high school and college in your early professional years. Those are the people you will always go back to. If there's one asset you need, it's true friends. Right. This is great, Bruce. I really appreciate you being with us today. But before we go, tell us a little bit about what you do, the offerings that you have. What would you like our listeners to know about you? Thanks. So I carry two portfolios. I serve as an independent director on the boards of private companies, typically 100 million revenue and larger industry agnostic across the United States, always wanting to have an impact, which is why I do it. Secondly, I serve as an independent consultant to private and family businesses, typically 10 to 100 million revenue, solving the problems that keep those owners awake at night. It starts with, what do I want to be when I grow up? People know what they mean when they hit that space. How do we develop a business strategy so that your business allows you to achieve your personal goals? How do we get the capital and talent so the business can execute that strategy? A lot of M&A work, some conflict management succession, a lot of work with governance issues, forming boards, and then when the owners want to, helping them sell and move to the latter stages of life. So that spectrum that I call the ownership journey, I deliver services across that spectrum of need. That's great, Bruce. And one thing I'm going to make here is a plug for your book, Your Ownership Journey. This is a solid book. There's a lot of meat in here. I would recommend this for everybody listening, even if you're never going to own and build a large company, but you do serve those companies. Or if you're in general sales, this is a good business education. If you're like myself, I've got most of my experience on the phone talking to people over the past years. This helps fill the gaps for my own knowledge. That was my experience from reading your book, Bruce. So thank you for writing that. And we're going to put the link for this on the show notes. We're going to put your LinkedIn link on here and also your website and your email on your show notes. So thank you for being a great guest, Bruce, and sharing your wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me. Hope you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. <laughs>